Light and circadian rhythm is a vast topic that we as human beings are only beginning to understand in depth. Ayurveda has always brought the importance back to us needing to be in sync with nature and when we have science that accentuates this, we bring this wisdom to further relevance. What are the first three ways light decides circadian rhythm? What are the scientific connections between nature and the human body? How do we navigate light with daytime and nighttime? I knew that the very best person to discuss this is my dear friend Rudy who did the circadian masterclass on episode 75. Rudy Nasif is the co-founder of Viva Rays. He has an engineering background and a solid understanding of the quantum physics of light. Rudy has been educating more than 150 functional medicine doctors about maximizing the power of light for patient health and well-being. Let's get started. Hey everyone, I'm Deepa, Light Functional Medicine Practitioner, Author and Yogini and you're listening to the Sleep Whisperer Podcast, the only sleep podcast with conversations and meditations. I'm on a mission to share profoundly insightful sleep conversations with global visionaries that merge together functional medicine and ancient wisdom. Breathe in bliss through weekly guided meditations and let yourself enter the land of dreams. Together, let's unravel the pieces, get to the roots and understand the right tools to transform your sleep completely. Through this podcast, I want you to dream the best version of yourself. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey. Rudy, welcome back to the Sleep Whisperer podcast and we had you on episode number 75 where we did a circadian masterclass which was very popular and I know that I want to have you back for several mini episodes but today let's dive a little bit more into five important things that decide how light influences our circadian rhythm and um since we did go into your story in episode number 75, our listeners can go back and get a lot more about you from that episode. Let's jump into our conversation today and uh, tell me why you wanted to speak about this particular topic today. Yeah, I'm actually very excited to be here today again, one more time. And it's so good to be on your podcast and to chat together. Um, I chose this topic because uh, I tend to see that in the field of health and wellness, when we speak about circadian rhythm and light, there's only one factor out of those five factors that is taken into consideration. And while this factor is very important and has some truth to it, when we look at this factor alone without intertwining the other factors, it will lead to a half-truth that will always almost lead to a full lie. And then it won't be of benefit when we start practicing things in relationship to light and circadian rhythm to improve our sleep. 
And I think, Rudy, what you said about the not having the full picture is so true because, I mean, it comes back to even, I mean, if people could see me, they can see I'm wearing your own company, Viva Rays Blue Light Blockers, or rather, let me correct myself, you prefer to call them circadian therapy glasses. And I think that's a world of difference in itself because today when you go on Amazon and anywhere really get so many colored glasses calling themselves blue light blockers and that's just not true so let's talk a little bit about these five important things and I know that I want to tease it apart in several ways but let's just get started with what are these half truths what are we missing where can we need more clarity into this whole area of circadian rhythms yeah absolutely I shall say also the those five factors once understood, which are very, very easy to, to, to be processed by anyone, they are transformative because we will have a foundation, a pillar upon which we could build and form our actions in relationship to light. So they're going to guide how in any particular environment we could behave around light, we could choose our lighting so that we could sleep better, have more energy and focus and become more productive. Now, the first very important factor, which is very known or getting to, get, getting to, to be known in the field of health and wellness is uh, the wavelength of light, how the wavelength of light influences sleep and circadian rhythm. To put it in simple ways, the shorter the wavelength of light, like blue light, the greater the effect it has on shifting our circadian clock compared to longer wavelength light, like orange or red light. Okay, so this factor, as I said, has become more and more popular in the health and wellness space when we speak about light and circadian rhythm. And many health experts, in, in, uh, uh, many health experts uh, are giving advice that we should be maximizing blue light exposure during the day and eliminating it at night based on this fact that short wavelength blue lights have greater effect on our circadian clock, which will mean it will reset our circadian clock in the morning and it will negatively uh, affect us at night and shift our sleep in the wrong direction. And while this conclusion, as I said, has some truth to it, it's often misinterpreted and it become a half truth that lead a full line and we want to avoid this. Now, let me give an example that will make sense to people and they're gonna, they're gonna think like, oh yes. So when we speak about blue light, we all know that the moonlight at night has a full spectrum white light that is very rich in blue light. However, moonlight, generally speaking, does not negatively influence our circadian clock. It cannot reset our circadian rhythm and it cannot trick our brain into thinking that it's daytime. Though it might have some negative effect or not, I shouldn't say negative, it might influence our melatonin in ways that are different uh, than when it's a new moon, for instance. It will not negatively influence our circadian clock and it will not confuse our brain. Now, why is that? Even though blue light is very rich in the moon. And we, we have just said that short wavelength blue light has a greater effect on shifting our circadian clock. Why is it that moonlight does not disturb 
our circadian clock. So to answer this question, it's about introducing the second very important factor. And this factor is the amount of light or brightness arriving at the level of the eye. So light is something that we can quantify easily and we can measure actually the amount of light in lux. Now, for those who don't know, who are not familiar with the physics of light, one lux is equal to the illumination of one square meter surface at one meter away from a single candle. Okay, so we can imagine one candle that is focused on one square meter at a distance of one meter from that surface. And when we say to, when we speak about 500 lux, let's say, then we are speaking about 500 candles that are focused on one square meter of surface. And those candles are positioned at one meter from that surface. Now, why is that very important? Because the greater the amount of lux arriving at the level of the eye, the greater the effect on shifting our circadian clock. So let's coin this with the first factor as we speak about moonlight. Moonlight, though has a lot of blue, does not shift our circadian clock in the wrong direction. And this is because the illumination from a, from a moon is equal only to one lux. Now let's compare this to a modern artificially lit room. Most uh, artificially lit room in our modern world are anywhere between 500 to 1,000 lux which is a thousand times brighter than a full moon, okay? And even though the full moon is rich in blue, it does not have enough brightness to trigger our circadian clock in the wrong direction. Now, some people ask about candle and firelight as well. A candle obviously does not shift our clock in the wrong direction because it's one lux at a very low color temperature, which is orange and red. So those two factors work in favor of the candle or the firelight. The firelight is uh, about 20 to 30 lux, and it's still at a very low color temperature. Now, I, I'd like to give people some perspective and some relativity. If we take the moon and a candle, and considering that they're both emitting uh, almost a similar brightness at one to two lux, the moon will have a deeper influence on our melatonin than a candle, though it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, very, it's very small. It's not, it's not something that we could uh, take seriously, right? But why is that? Because the moon has shorter wavelength blue, whereas the candle has a longer wavelength orange and red light at the same brightness. And therefore, the moon could influence our melatonin uh, in, a, in a greater if, uh, effect than, than the candle itself. And before we go on to other aspects, Rudy, wow, uh, I do want to ask you though, I know you said that moonlight doesn't really affect, but um, if you ask a lot of women, especially, there's always talk about how sleep gets extremely disrupted when the full moon is out. Um, so is there any other reason that could be the case? Well, as I mentioned, light would be one of the reasons relatively to a new moon when it's, when it's actually darker. And there's, there's, there's a natural oscillation that happens in nature. And we are actually entrained and uh, 
connected to this natural oscillation. And one of those oscillations that happen is like the moon waxing and waning. And there are different physiological effects that happen when the moon wax and wane. When the moon go towards uh, full moon, the, it actually affects the, the tides of the, of the earth and uh, the magnetic field of the moon influences the magnetic field of the earth and it, it creates a slight increase of the, in that magnetic field, which we are connected to the magnetic field of the earth. And this also creates uh, some physiological responses in our body. We might feel more excited. We might feel more awake or more alert at that time of the, of the month. Uh, regardless, I do believe also that um, there are other physiological um, effects that uh, are related to the moon. For instance, menstrual cycle. We all know that women are very connected in their menstrual cycle to, to the cycles of the moon. So with that being said, yes, the moon will have some effect on our sleep if we compare it to a new moon. but if we are trying to compare the moon to our modern lighting, uh, it's, it's, it's far different. And there's, there's, there's not even uh, enough effects that we could think about in relation to the moon when it comes to comparing it to a room that is lit with 500 to 1,000 lux. And, 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 and uh, what I'd like to add to this is the it does not matter whether this room is lit with blue lit bulbs or red light bulbs, it is going to negatively affect our sleep and circadian rhythm. Now, why is that? Because let's, let's, let's look back at what we, uh, what we said. I see many people today advertising bright orange and red bulb as sleeping bulbs or so many people using those uh, therapy uh, red light uh, panels that are super bright before sleep and taking selfies and whatnot. Though we said that blue light has a greater effect on our circadian rhythm than red light, this does not mean that red and orange light do not have an effect on shifting our circadian clock. And this is exactly because we said that the greater amount of light arriving at the level of the eye, the greater the brightness, the greater the effect will be on shifting our circadian clock. So I'd like to put this into perspective by helping people make a comparison. So for example, if we take two light bulbs, one that emits um, uh, white light that is very rich in the blue, and another one that emits warm light that is free of blue and has a lot of orange and red light. Now, assuming that both of those lights emit the same brightness or the amount of light, and that they are positioned at, at, at an equal distance from the eye, the bulb emitting more blue light will have a much greater effect on shifting our circadian clock and disturbing our sleep if we were to expose our, ourselves to it at night. However, if we take the same blue light bulb and take another warm color bulb, and this time with no blue light, but this time, if we increase the amount of brightness of the warmer color bulb, okay, we could get to a point where the blue lit bulb and the orange or red lit bulb are influencing our circadian clock and shifting that clock in similar ways. 
And even if we increase the brightness enough with the orange and red, we might get to a point where the red or orange bulb is shifting our circadian clock uh, or, or, or disturbing our sleep in, in, a, in a deeper way than uh, what the blue is doing. So we cannot only think of the color anymore. We always need to think and intertwine the wavelength of light, which is the color of light, and the brightness of light at the same time. Let's talk a now, little. Yes, you need to still talk to us about the other three aspects. Yeah, I, I, I shall, I, sh I shall say something here because um, it's important. I should say that the only advantage that the warm color uh, temperature light, like orange and red light, will have, is that though it might delay shift our circadian clock with enough brightness, it appears to have less of an impact on destroying the molecule melatonin and therefore it's less harsh on our system because we, we, we also need to separate two things. One is delay shifting our circadian rhythm and second is the effect, the, the, the effect of light, the, the effect that light has on destroying the molecule melatonin. So light could have two effects. It could shift our, uh, the, the, the onset of melatonin at night when melatonin will be released into the body and therefore it will shift our, our sleep schedule forward. But it could also destroy the molecule melatonin that has been produced during the day in morning sunlight. And therefore, what I'm trying to say here is the advantage of a red or orange bulb, though it might be bright and it might delay our sleep schedule, it appears that it does not destroy the molecule melatonin in the same way that blue light does. So Rudy, before we go on a little bit more, before anyone gets confused by our geeky conversation, let's just clarify a few things before we go further as to, or are we going to get to this at the very end as to finally, what are we supposed to do in terms of the red light and the, uh, would, would your suggestion then be that post-sunset we not have any light? Okay, so here's some suggestions. That's a great question. So let's talk about nighttime because it's going to be different than daytime. But having learned what we learned is that blue light will affect us greater than orange and red light and that bright light will also have a greater effect than less than a light that is less bright. Then... If we coin these two together, we want to create a nighttime environment that is free of blue, which means is orange and red light, but is also less bright. So we want to really pay attention to the companies that we're buying our light bulbs from. A lot of those companies are selling light bulbs uh, that emit light at 800 lumens, which I believe is extremely bright for a nighttime environment. And people are thinking, well, uh, since I'm using my orange and red bulbs, then I'm okay. But it's, it's not the case because the light is very bright and it is, it is going to disturb their sleep and their circadian clock. Another very important thing is the reason why the glasses you're wearing, the nighttime glasses, not only block blue and green light, but they, they decrease the brightness by 15 times is for this specific factor. Because when we designed those glasses, we knew that if we eliminate blue and green light, 
we are going to have great effect on helping people sleep better. But we also wanted to address like, what do we do with, the, with, with all this brightness that is coming and arriving at the level of the eye? So we included a feature that is able to decrease that brightness up to 15 times. And therefore it gives the brain the impression that is absolutely dark. And only then we could start um, releasing melatonin efficiently into the bloodstream and helping the body to prepare for a restful night's sleep. And back to our original topic again, Rudy, where we're talking about five things that decide how light influences circadian rhythm. And we've gone through the wavelength of light, the amount of light or the brightness. And I'd love for us to move through all of it um, before we come into practical takeaways. Yeah, so the third one is the time of the day that, that we are exposing ourselves to light will really, will really affect and determine everything. Why is that? Because um, retinal, the retina in the eye is much less sensitive to light first thing in the morning, and it becomes much more sensitive to light the longer we have been awake. And this means that when we first wake up, we really need a lot of bright light arriving at the level of the eye to actually reset our circadian clock. However, the longer we have been awake, very little amount of bright light arriving at the level of the eye will actually uh, uh, act against our favor and will, will, will disturb our sleep and circadian rhythm. Now, I'd like to coin this to what I said in the beginning, the advising people, let's say, to um, get a lot of blue light during the day is, has some truth to it. However, though it's coming from great intention from health experts, it might lead to, it might, it's, it's easily misinterpreted and it could be incomplete. Now, why is that? Because uh, blue light, in itself is a frequency that ranges from 400 nanometer to 500 nanometer. And throughout evolution, anytime we have been exposed to what we call blue light, it has been from the sun, which has the full spectrum blue, so the complete spectrum of blue light, as well as the full spectrum of the other frequencies of color, like green, yellow, orange, and red. And when all of these colors come together in a balanced proportionate manner, they have phenomenal effects on our physiology, on our endocrine system, on our nervous system, as well as on our circadian system, because every cell in our body is actually waiting to get that light early, as early as possible in the morning to reset that clock. Now, the word balance is key because it shall guide all, it actually guide all the phenomena of nature. And it's a fundamental thing that we need to uh, look at in order to guide our behavior when we are trying to interpret, let's say, a scientific study. Uh, the, the thing with many of the scientific studies about blue light is that they have been done in isolation. And what do I mean by this? We, we've isolated, let's say, uh, one particular effect, which is uh, how light is affecting melanopsin ganglion cells, which are the proteins 
in the eye that are for, that are sensitive to light and they are designed to signal to the central clock in the brain about the light environment that is present in any given environment. And most of these studies have only looked about, uh, about how uh, blue light is actually influencing melanopsin only. But when we, when we make conclusions that are in relation to melanopsin only, we are, bear in mind that we are not taking into consideration how light is actually influencing the nervous system, how light is influencing the mitochondria, how light is influencing the endocrine system. So we're only isolating melanopsin and trying to give behavioral cues to people so that they can improve their health. And unfortunately, this doesn't work very well. It ends up being a little bit messy because in fact, the blue light that we are exposing ourselves to from artificial light is not even a full spectrum blue light. It, it has a narrow peak at 455 nanometer. So it's a slight part of the blue and it's not balanced and proportionate with all the frequencies of colors like orange and red light. And we have not evolved to get this uh, blue light in isolation at 455 nanometer. And we have only evolved to get it in full spectrum when present with all the different frequencies of color. So. In fact, we have now starting to see that this uh, 455 uh, nanometer frequency of blue, when it's isolated from the other colors, has been shown to increase inflammation and reactive oxygen species. And when the ROS or the reactive oxygen species increases abnormally because of our chronic exposure to this frequency, it starts damaging the mitochondria and it also threatens the nucleus and the DNA, leading to aging and neurodegenerative diseases. And this 455 nanometer also disrupts the, the perfect equilibrium of our autonomic nervous system. It definitely leads to oversympathetic activation in, in our nervous system uh, because um, this artificial light is actually lacking in the balancing warmer colors that stimulate the parasympathetic system and create the perfect equilibrium between the two. Also, there's a very interesting scientist from Germany, his name is uh, Fritz Holwisch, who published many papers uh, showing how sitting under this artificial light during the day or at night, which becomes much worse, uh, increases the stress hormone cortisol and ACTH. And it's actually perceived by our mitochondria as an, un, like an unnatural stressor, as if you have seen a lion, let's say. And this literally diverges the, uh, the, the hormone pregnenolone that is produced in the mitochondria from being diverted into fertility pathways and sex pathways to more stress hormones and more cortisol. And it also has been shown to increase our blood sugar level because of this chronic cortisol secretion. So those are just few of the effects that we are actually exposing ourselves to when we are exposed to an artificial light source that is not balanced and that is not proportionate like, like sunlight is. So therefore, 
we really need to be careful when 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 we say to people that they they shall maximize their blue light exposure during the day from any from any source whether it's sunlight or artificial light because as we have just seen it could be it could be chronic and lead to torturous effects on that note rudy before we go on to the fourth i know that you're a big one to be out in sunshine every single day so just share a little bit about what do you do during the day i know you've even moved at certain parts of the year so you can maximize the ocean and the sunlight yeah absolutely it's 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 very easy i sleep with the sun after the sunset and i wake up before the sun and when we start doing the right things this becomes automatic there's a there's a, an alarm clock that is embedded in every cell in our body that actually works in harmony when it's getting the right light information and it's not being confused by artificial lighting and what this means is when we start doing the thing the, the, the when we start blocking artificial light at night and uh, being outside first thing in the morning watching the sunrise we start getting into a rhythm and this rhythm is set by nature's rhythm which changes from season to season but and it changes in 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 a, in, a, in a way that is very uh strategic and very slow so this means that if the sun is rising at 7 a.m. today, it will not rise at 8 a.m. tomorrow. It will, it will shift few minutes at a time. And this prepares our body to actually shift with it in a harmonious way that does not cause confusion into our, uh, uh, in, in, uh, inside our bodies and to our organs and how our organs are working and communicating. So the easiest thing one could do is wake up first thing in the morning, go outside, face east and 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 expose themselves to the morning sunlight which is very important to reset the timing of the clock first thing in the morning and at this particular time it will causes cortisol and adrenaline to rise a little bit and this help us to feel alert focused energized and ready for the day but it will also set the timer, the timer of a very important hormone called melatonin, the sleep hormone, uh, which will be released about 12 to 13 hours from this particular time when the cortisol increases due to our morning light exposure. Now, this doesn't this when when we speak about the timing of melatonin, it, it has nothing to do with the production of melatonin, which is something separate. And this is why it's very important for people to also start tracking when UVA is rising in their environment. And the easiest way to do this is to use an app called the Circadian app, which will take your location and it will help you understand when UVA rises in your environment. Now, why is that important? Because we need the high frequency uh, energizing light from UVA in order to uh, convert tryptophan into melatonin. And this is actually when uh, all of our melatonin stuck is produced in the eye due to morning sunlight. So we want to get the two things right. 
first the timing of when melatonin will be released at night, which will happen due to morning sunlight or the, the sunrise. And number two, making sure that we are actually able to produce enough melatonin in the eyes in response to UVA lights. In this episode, Rudy walked us through the first three ways light decides circadian rhythm. If this conversation was a little overwhelming, have no fear. In part two of this conversation, we simplify the five steps and come down to nine specific ways you can bring in these five concepts into your daily life. Swami Shivananda, an ancient seer, had a beautiful phrase that I think summarizes all of this, which is, an ounce of practice is worth a ton of theory. And this is what Rudy does for us on part two of this episode. Stay tuned and have a great day. This podcast is intended to provide helpful and informative material on the subject matter covered in the episodes. The podcast is not acting in the capacity of a doctor or a registered dietitian and is not rendering any professional healthcare or medical service. The information in the podcast is not intended as a substitute for medical advice or services or as treatment or cure for any particular health condition. The advice and tools contained herein may not be suitable for your situation. Any medical questions regarding contraindications and cautions or any questions of whether or not to proceed with any practices provided in the show should be referred to qualified health professionals before adopting the same. The podcast specifically disclaims any responsibility for any liability, loss, risk, personal or otherwise which may be incurred as a direct or indirect consequence of the use of information from this podcast or the application, adoption of any of the information provided.